and welcome back everybody to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. I'm on video here today, so we have that part of the uh, the show here for you, um, so that we're not getting all uh, off pace too quickly. Uh, I was really excited to see how well the video episode did. It looked like every single listener uh, that listens to the podcast watched that episode. So taking that into account, I'm going to... Um, Roll right into it. I really hope you guys enjoyed the Mount Lemon episode yesterday. I got a little bit of anxiety right now starting, as I usually do. I want to work through first so that we can get to the messages we're meant to receive. Um, like I was saying, Mount Lemon was really something else. It was really energizing and recharged me and kind of sparked some ideas for me, too. So uh, I'm really excited to, to continue down that path. Like I said in that episode, I'm going to go to some other places around Arizona. I've got a couple locations picked out already. I'll let you know about them here soon. Um, probably the next episodes will be there. So, um, But we're going to have some kind of interesting vibes uh, brought through these locations. So I'm really interested to see what I pick up on when I'm out there and, and moving forward, kind of, in, like I said, integrating different areas as well. It's nice to have that freedom, right? So, um, yeah, but that being said, um, again, I didn't think of any topic before coming on here today. I just wanted to get on here and... Uh, chat at you for a little while so um to get us rolling let's go ahead and start out how we usually do let's get a saying from the buddha book uh that's one of my favorites for those of you watching it is the sayings of the buddha reflections for every day by william ray um again i will have all of these uh resources in the show notes for you so uh if you want to check them out you can find them probably on amazon i think i found this at barnes and noble in kind of the discount section so uh a lot of cool resources out there that are pretty reasonable to find anyway let's get into it I'm going to pull it intuitively. Let's see here. What do we need to see? We're on page 235. I'm going to probably see showing this because I'm pretty sure it's backwards uh, for you guys. But those of you that are watching, there's the visual aspect for you too. So <clears throat> without any further ado, it says, He who does what should not be done, who forgets the true aim of life and sinks into transient pleasures, he will one day envy the man who lives in high contemplation. Hmm. i read it one more time for you. He who does what should not be done, forgets the true aim of life and sinks into transient pleasures. He will one day envy the man who lives in high contemplation. So there's a couple of things in there to pull apart, right? High contemplation that popped out to me initially. Um, what does that mean, right? What does it mean to be, to contemplate in the highway? Well, I think that's speaking of something divine, right? Apologies for the mic noises there. I have some kind of messed up headphones here, and they don't like to operate very well, so I kind of have to keep this cord behind me, or else it's going to mess up on me. But we continue on, right? But that high-minded idea, um, there's different levels to your perception. Right, And I think that's what this is getting to. And many of us get stuck in kind of the surface level, which would be this kind of physical world. It's really easy because we have these eyes and we have kind of physical touch and taste and these other senses that really like kind of almost traps us in a certain perspective. And a lot of times we'll see that perspective kind of embodied in the world through like this, this rat race mentality, right? Um, through kind of not only that, but any of the, the things that you use as kind of a vice, I guess. It speaks of comfort in this this passage, right? And so 
there's this, there's this lulling into comfort uh, that I think we've all experienced in this world is so prevalent, right? Because I think in some ways the economy kind of runs on it, right? But point being, um, there's a higher level of perception that you can contemplate life at. And when you go to that place, it kind of uh, has a way of pulling you apart, right? It's, it's work. In a, in a weird way. It's, it's very uh, challenging work. It's some of the most challenging work you can do. Like I said last episode, working on yourself, untangling your mind. But if we get stuck in this mindset that the only way that we really put in work or value in the world is by kind of providing some kind of service or external value, um, we'll forget ourselves. You know? Uh, we'll kind of forget what makes us important, and gives us passion, um, and we'll cease to grow, I think, is the most important aspect of that. So uh, I think this passage in some ways was almost prophetic as well. Um, it speaks of the changing times, you know. This world is changing. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Um, for better or for worse, it really is a matter of perspective, always, right? So um, I do think in that change, though, there's a, there is awakening going on of some sort at a global scale. You can see this, the prevalence of people engaging with spiritual topics, whether it's um, at the level they deserve or not, is kind of besides the fact. But point being, I do think there's something in this that's somewhat prophetic. It speaks of kind of preparing yourself for something, right? And if you don't choose today to start doing this kind of higher-minded thinking, this higher-level kind of work, then it's really easy to miss that train, right? And I don't think anybody wants to miss the train. So the point is, um, I'll read it one more time for you, just kind of let it sink in. If you are consumed in this physical world and you feel stuck or maybe even kind of bored, right? That's one of the indicators that there's something else uh, there to work on that you should be looking at. So take that opportunity to ask yourself, what is it internally that I could work on? Something that isn't um, based on what I'm giving the world, something I give myself. Uh, even if you carve out a small amount of time in your day, whether it's your bath time before bed, um, many religions speak of it as a form of prayer, right? Uh, but you don't have to conceive of it that way. Prayer kind of manifests in a myriad of different ways. Uh, singing is a form of prayer. Listening to music is a form of prayer, especially if you find yourself listening to a single song over and over again. You know, there's a reason you're doing that. And it's because uh, there's a message in it that you feel drawn to, that you're contemplating at a high level, right? And you can feel that high level thinking in that, that example, I think. So it says one more time, he does not, he who does what should not be done who forgets the true aim of life and sinks into transient pleasures, he will one day envy the man who lives in high contemplation. So don't, um, don't leave yourself in that place of feeling regret, right, or possible regret. Um, kind of be proactive by doing this higher-minded thinking uh, whenever you notice yourself being pulled apart. Right, because that's exactly the opportunity. You're being pulled apart for a reason, not to numb yourself. You know, it's to heal, always. So uh, that was a, that was a nice little message to start on. I like that. Um, that was actually page 234. I usually read both sides, right? So the page that I pulled open to actually was the next one, 235. Let's see what we got there. 
This is myself, and this is another. Be free of this bond which encompasses you about, and your own self is thereby released. That's a deeper one, huh? One more time. This is myself, and this is another. Be free of this bond which encompasses you about, and your own self is thereby released. It's hmm. a deep one. Uh, I think I can spend some time pulling that one apart, right? So I think the idea we're talking about here is something like... Um, it's perception-based, similar to the first one, right? Uh, another aspect of that higher level perception, that higher level thinking is also a shift in your physical perception. It doesn't happen quickly and doesn't happen overnight, but it's something that's cultivated, right? A different aspect of you that can see differently through your eyes. Um, but it necessitates that you accept certain aspects in the world that maybe uh, push against traumas or truths that you've held accepted that aren't. Uh, so there's a there's a path that that encompasses. And um, what it leads you to, I think, at certain points is recognizing um, yourself in the other. Uh, something like seeing um, the aspects of you that have hurt and that have experienced joy and love and all of this and other people at certain points in your life, almost like kind of a deja vu moment, a checkpoint, right? You'll notice these if you think about it where you've seen somebody experience something, whether it's good or bad, that you've resonated with because you've seen or experienced that same thing, and so you can feel them deeply, right? In those moments, if you're careful enough and you're watching at that higher level, you'll notice that the boundaries between you and that person disappear completely. How are you feeling them? You know? Physically, if you are kind of taking in this information from that physical experience of watching and witnessing all of these aspects play out in the world in the same way that you've experienced, then what's the mode, what's the method in which that communication is happening where it's going from that to you recognizing kind of some kind of emotional bond between you two? The empathy, right? And it has a way of dissolving boundaries. And I think that's what this speaks of, is there's, there, there's a true illusion in front of your eyes constantly that you make. Um, the main one being that you are a thing and that other people are too. Right? You're a thing, but you're not the thing you think you are. You're not separate. You know, we're each an individual stock of broccoli on a head, like a clump of broccoli, right? We're a, we're a piece of the same thing. We are connected, just not in the ways that we like to physically see connection. We don't hook into each other with a wire. <laughs> you know what I mean? And because we don't do it that specific way, we don't recognize the connection and thus we separate ourselves. This is one of the main ways that the ego forms and it's one of the main ways it'll claw and hold on to you when you're trying to think at a higher level. So it's important to recognize if you want to approach any situation from that higher mind that there's a certain amount of balance that it entails and that balance comes from being uh, recognizing the yin and yang in the world, in the universe, the fundamental truth 
and then applying those to yourself fairly and justly. Not being overcritical, but also not overlooking anything inside of yourself. Uh, so that you can truly recognize yourself in others. And then rejoin with the true you. You know, and the drum roll comes, right? Who's the true you? <laughs> that is the question, right? Um, but I think if you look at it from a higher level, it's pretty easy to answer there's a reason we're all obsessed with this idea of who created us or what did, if anything. Where's home? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You are something. You're just not what you think you are. You're a piece of something. You're finite. You're limited. You're a piece of something that's unlimited. So you're the limited part of something unlimited. You know, and some takes a while to wrap around. Anyway, I liked starting there um, because I kind of want to go into um, an odd topic today. Uh, one that's probably going to be fairly uncomfortable for some people, um, which I don't mean it to be. Uh, but it's a subject that I kind of feel is necessary to uh, talk about because I believe that there's uh, because there's misunderstanding, I think, um, that fundamental levels in our world that cause a lot of issues and hurt. And so I feel like it's important for me to try to enunciate what I believe some of those misconceptions are so that we can properly experience each other and put these borders down and recognize we are all one thing, right? So um, that being said, I am going to get some cards too. Um, I'm kind of interested. No, we'll save that. Never mind. We'll, we'll save the cards for a little bit later. We're going to start on this topic, okay? Um, I think this will be interesting. So uh, what I want to start with is um, a little bit of research, guys. So if you're watching it, um, it's a good idea to, to have Spotify. You can see the video episode of this. Um, I'll also start getting up, up, them up on YouTube and TikTok and stuff too. So don't worry about that. But for now, Spotify is the way to go, okay? Um, so there was an episode probably about a year and a half ago now, it was around December. Um, well, I guess I'm not doing my math right there, but you get the point. Um, it was a while ago, and I, it was called The Christmas Star. It was one of my video episodes, and it's actually up on my YouTube channel right now if you guys are interested, um, where you can watch and follow along with the research. But one of the things I came across, and this was at a period of time when we were experiencing something called The Christmas Star in the night sky, which at the time was a very rare occurrence. It happened, I think, something like only every other once every 800 years or something like that is a very, very, very odd alignment between Jupiter, I believe, and one other planet. It might have been Mars or Saturn, one of those. But it made a very large conjunction in the sky that looked like a, a very, very large star. So the idea was uh, that I was going with in this episode, um, and I followed this little rabbit hole down, was this idea of the Christmas star and whether the star that they spoke of in the Bible above Bethlehem when Jesus was born was actually a conjunction of these two astronomical objects and there was a as you can see if you watch the episode there was a huge rabbit hole it took me down as I started from that point and realized that there was a lot to it um, now that being said at the time I was you know deep in the middle of an awakening and didn't quite understand or grasp on the concepts that were being presented to me yet and I think I have a little better idea of those concepts now so I kind of want to go a little bit back into it because one of the things I remember coming across in that was this idea of the morning star right um it was 
something that I came across in that research. It's a, a term that's been used to refer to Jesus as the morning star, right? But it was really interesting when I did this research. Let me get it up here on the screen for you, okay? Um, I'm on Wikipedia here if anybody wants to follow along. Uh, so it's called the Morning Star, and this name and title has been used for two different significant figures from the Bible, not just one, one being Jesus. Uh, but the interesting thing is that it was also used in the Bible at times to refer to um, the figure of Lucifer. Now, I don't know if it's actually from the Bible, but it might be from some of the removed Dead Sea Scroll portions. We'll find out exactly here. Um, but there is an aspect of it that uh, refers to both. And so I found that really interesting. And at the time, I couldn't really digest it very well. Um, but this morning, I was sitting in church, right? And I, uh, as I've told you before, I'm um, kind of, I, I follow a wide variety of different religions, right? So I'm that stereotypical spiritualist. But at the same time, I was raised Catholic, and I, I do have a Christian base in my beliefs. And so a lot of the times, I, I will still go to church, different churches um, at times, just to kind of, pick up on the messages because just like tarot I can get the same message from sitting in a church and it was interesting today because I went to church um, a church that I've kind of been going to it's not usually it's not as traditional it's more, it's more modern right and so the message today was really odd it hit me really odd and I it kind of upset me actually but for unique and interesting reasons um, today because like I said my perspective shifted quite a bit now, I want to take this idea of, um, I want to take the story of Lucifer and jump into it a little bit more, right? So uh, let's go on here and see if I can find, so this is, I pulled up Morningstar on here if you're following along. Uh, we'll just read some of this quickly. In astronomy, the Morningstar most commonly uses, is most commonly used as a name for the planet Venus when it appears in the best or in the east before sunrise. Uh, Morningstar is also a name for the star Sirius, which appears in the sky just before sunrise from early July to mid-September. And Morningstar a less common name for the planet Mercury when it comes, uh, when it appears in the east before sunrise. So you see, this is a very common name, interestingly enough, right? It's been used to describe many different people from mythology. So I'm going to go down this list and you can kind of see what I'm saying. Uh, Arvindil is the morning star, rising star in Germanic mythology. At Tariq is a chapter from the of the Quran. It's called the morning star. Barnum Beer, a creator of spirit in the Yonggu culture of Australia. So this is kind of an indigenous tribe, I believe, down there. Jesus, as I was saying, was self-described as the bright morning star in the Christian Bible. He called himself that, interestingly enough, right? John the Baptist, which was uh, Jesus' childhood friend. He was raised with John the Baptist, or they were friends when they were children. Also very significant in the Bible. It's called a bright morning star in Eastern Orthodox Church hymnology. So that would be in like Russia. Mostly Russia, Eastern Orthodox uh, churches uh, generally are in that region. Obviously the East. Um, but they're the churches that have those really beautiful steeples and things are gorgeous. Um, I'm going to give you an example of it here too actually. Um, just for the fun of it. Because I think it's really pretty. But... Maybe I'm thinking of something else. Anyway, let's get back on track, Chris. Um, let's keep going down the list. So we had John the Baptist and then the next one. So it's Jesus, John the Baptist, and Lucifer. A name based on the Latin name for the morning star. Right? So um, the name itself is actually based on the Latin version for morning star. Um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was also called the morning star in the litany of Loreto. Morning star, one of the Zoria gods in the Slavic mythology. Morning star, Redhorn, a cultural hero in Suwon 
oral traditions, Morningstar ceremony, historical ritual ceremony, and Pawnee mythology. Morningstar ceremony. Is, so you, you get the point, right? We have a bunch of different representations of this. Um, now, what I find interesting about this, and we're just going to use Wikipedia here. Let's just do that, do that. Pull up John the Baptist and Mary. So I'm going to pull up Jesus, Lucifer, John the Baptist, and Mary, and we're going to go from there, okay? So Jesus, um, everybody kind of knows who he is, right? Uh, but the interesting thing about Jesus is that, that in the Bible, um, he does describe himself as the morning star. Now, the, what I want to go to next is actually more the story of Lucifer, the fall of Lucifer, because there's a connection there that I want to make for you um, that is really kind of interesting, that it's surprising that it's not made more often. Um, because this is information you can find on the internet readily. It's, you know, Jesus, it, it's a, you get the point. So, um, Lucifer, um, I'm going to read the description for him, is one of the various figures in folklore associated with the planet Venus. So that's partially where the name comes from, right? The entity's name was subsequently uh, absorbed into Christianity as a name for the devil, right? So this name started before the devil, conception of the devil existed, right? Modern scholarship generally translates the term in relevant Bible passages. Um, I want to ask a question really quick. Was the devil a part of the Torah? Hmm. So interesting. Um, So now we're going to Satan. We're going to a different description of this. And again, for those of you that are uncomfortable with even talking about this, I do apologize. But I'm doing it so that you can understand that there's nothing to be afraid of right now. Like, oh, I'm connecting some dots. Hopefully that can demystify some of these subjects and make it a little less fear-based. Um, so that we can actually protect ourselves uh, against the things in the world that are low vibration. Because they exist, right? So um, we need to understand uh, everything in this world, including the things that we call shadows, including the things that we think are dark, so that we can understand their purpose. If you believe in something bigger, you believe you were created by that thing, you believe all of this was made by that thing, then how could you not want to understand every part of it, including the parts that we're scared of, right? So that's the point of this, is, is there's an aspect of this that demystifies and then heals. So, um... Satan, also known as the devil, and sometimes called, also called Lucifer in Christianity, is an entity in the Abrahamic religion that seduces humans into sin or falsehood. In Judaism, Satan is seen as an agent subservient to God, typically regarded as a metaphor for the Yetzer Hara, or evil inclination. It's a very interesting differentiation, right? So we've made a jump here, guys. You can see how we have this idea of the morning star being associated with Venus, and Lucifer, the figure of Lucifer, being identified with that. Interestingly enough, Venus is associated with love, with beauty. Uh, I believe it sometimes, if, if it relates to kind of um, the beauty that comes from the intellect, it can relate to intellect, right? Like poetry, music, stuff. Um, so, and creativity. So, there's this idea, and you can see the corollary between that and this figure of Lucifer, the archangel described uh, um, in the fall, now the story of the fall of Lucifer, right? So, um, there's this weird interconnecting stories and there's this passing on of the stories this almost telephone game we've played with each other throughout history that really has confused things we've taken different ideas and different figures and mashed them into one and it's done I think a disservice to not only us but also the entities that surround us because then there's a misunderstanding of how we're supposed to move forward as a civilization um, so 
that if we take um, that idea, the, the figure of Lucifer, the angel aspect uh, of what we've now called Satan and the devil, uh, we associate it with Venus. We recognize that that was a very old story. It was around before, um, let's say, like the Torah was around, right? So these are these are these are myths that stem from other things. That's why it's associated with Venus, right? Um, the god Venus is, a, if I'm not mistaken, let's pull it up here. Venus is a Greek god, if I'm not mistaken, right? Roman god, I apologize. Venus is a Roman goddess whose function encompasses love, beauty, desire, sex, fertility, prosperity, and victory. In Roman mythology, she was the ancestor of the Roman people through her son Aeneas, who survived the fall of Troy and fled to Italy. Julius Caesar claimed her as his ancestor. Venus was central to many religious festivals and was revered in Roman religion under numerous cult titles. Okay, so that's kind of the basic figure we're talking about. Now I want you to look at this picture right here, right? Look at this picture right here. Boom. I want you to look at this picture right here. Do you see the similarity there, guys? I mean, yes, they're laying in a similar position, but I don't know about you, but I feel like those feel like very similar figures. Uh, just kind of in there the way they're depicted, except this one looks like something that's being shamed. Right. That's actually a picture of Aphrodite. Um, but they're associated, right? So, um, point being, because uh, I don't want to get off track, it's very hard to stitch this all together, that as we passed these traditions along, as we translated them in different... We started new religions, retranslated them, we combined some of the conceptions uh, together and then made a new figure out of it. Uh, but the problem is, is as that progressed, we started to tear down the aspects of these figures that were positive. And then we replaced them with this idea of evil, this conception of evil, right? Um, this conception of the tempter specifically that it speaks of. Uh, where was it? Yeah, when I was, what I just pulled up about um, uh, in Judaism, right? Uh, that it was referred to as, uh, in Judaism, it's referred to as a temptress, I believe. Um, let's see here, I'll find it for you. Yes, so the evil inclination. So it's not an actual, in, in, in the Torah, in Judaism, this idea um, of the devil was associated with something like an evil inclination. An inclination is a feeling. It's not something outside of you. So the fundamental belief in the Jewish religion from the Torah itself, I'm not prophetizing like I know because um, I'm not Jewish, right? But the point is it's an inclination. It's not something externalized to you. But in Greek mythology or Roman mythology, this idea of Venus was, uh, and so was this idea of Lucifer. Uh, and they were attached together so I think what we did is we combined and put, took this in, evil inclination, and instead of recognizing um, kind of the internal aspect that was present in the Torah, we embodied it uh, as Christianity developed out of it. So it took that evil inclination idea, and it said this needs to have a physical representation for that. Because it's really hard to identify internally where that is. 
what is the evil inclination? It's really hard for people to even conceive of an inclination itself. It's a complicated idea. So it's necessary at some level, practically, to embody it in a physical form, have a conception of it. So this idea of a falling angel, a star falling, right? The progression of this star in the sky literally going from the high level to the low level in the night sky looks like a fall. If you're an ancient civilization, how would you perceive that? You can understand why folklore would develop out of that of an angel falling, right? And then the interesting thing, guys, is when we go back to Jesus, right? Because as I was saying earlier, Jesus is quoted in the Bible as calling himself the morning star, right? Now, when we have... Lucifer, also described as the morning star. We have Lucifer associated with Venus, which Venus is literally the deity of love, beauty, desire, sex, fertility, prosperity, and victory, right? If you're going to pick something uh, to be kind of a a representation of love, you'd pick Venus. (laughs) You know what I mean? But you have to understand in this that there is truly nothing in the universe that is only good. Maybe there is in different dimensions that I'm not aware of or we don't really tap into all the time. I don't mean to say that as a blanket statement. It doesn't feel true when I say it that way. But in this reality, at least, there's a positive and negative. It's literally the way that the physical reality manifests itself. You're in between this positive and negative field we exist in between so that everything that manifests in this reality has a positive and negative aspect to it so that one of the biggest travesties in the history of religion and the development of the spiritual human being period is the idea that Jesus was only good because it severed us from the connection to the purpose of that figure the whole purpose of the figure of Jesus was not to show you to get you to follow something to worship an idol to project outwardly everything that you wish to be and then to shame yourself based on it to whip yourself because you're not worthy in front of this idol that you've created for thousands of years this is not what the intention was the intention was to show people that they are the christ energy jesus goes through over and over in the bible and tells people kind of this idea people confuse it with this idea that he thinks he's god but he's saying no be like me i am literally the same thing as you you're looking at me i'm a physical being we don't use our logic enough when we read those stories imagine standing in front of somebody trying to explain to them this idea that you are everything there's nothing outside of you you don't have to whip yourself you don't have to hate yourself you are the thing creating all of the pain in your life you are the thing creating all of the the suffering in your life not necessarily the pain but the suffering the needless kind of torture the hell you create that he's saying follow me be like me but don't don't try to place me on a pedestal right and so there's this weird way if, in which if you say that to people and they don't understand it, they, don't mis- they misperceive it as obviously Jesus was misperceived, I mean, you literally have the figure being crucified for saying those kinds of things because it was so misunderstood. 
Now I want to take you back, and I know I'm jumping a lot right here, but it's necessary to explain the concept. I want to take you back to kind of the story of the fall of Lucifer, so let's fill in those gaps. Uh, we'll just kind of describe that really quick. Sorry, uh, sorry for the break there, guys, but I want to pull it up for you. Now, this is just going to be pulled from the internet, right? So I don't want to... Um, we might get some weird ones here. Um, there we go. Okay, the war in heaven. New Testament of the Christian Bible, the book of Revelation describes a war in heaven between angels led by the archangel Michael against those led by the dragon, identified as the devil or Satan, who will be defeated and thrown down to earth. Revelation's war in heaven is related to the idea of fallen angels, and possible parallels have been proposed in the Hebrew Bible and Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, the idea that I'm trying to get to, and it's always hard to find, I remember I searched for it a long time, last time too um the story of the fall of lucifer goes like this i am paraphrasing but it's something to the effect that lucifer was um a angel an archangel that was associated with similar qualities to venus was also associated with um uh, a certain type of intellect right um, beauty intellect uh, cunning these kind of things so if you imagine um angels being kind of more distilled versions of specific traits like that um you can understand that, that uh, the figure of the angel of Lucifer was a very specifically distilled thing. Now, when you think about it that way, and you try to place yourself, and this is a very hard thing to do, it's a big idea, but this is some of the high-minded thinking we're talking about, right? Like, when you try to place yourself in the position of God, if you place yourself as the position of creator, and you try to imagine why, why would I create something like that? Well, it's obvious when you look at just the principles of the thing, right? It's beautiful. It's intelligent. It's cunning, it's smart, it's a leader, it's it's everything you'd want, it's why it's your favorite son. But there's also aspects to that that aren't just positive. Something else comes with beauty if it's not properly balanced. What is that? Right? Something else comes with cunning if it's not properly balanced. Manipulation, right? Something else comes with all of these things, love, obsession, lust, right? you have all of these ideas pop out of the figure itself if you just view it from a dualistic point of view instead of a singular point of view as if an angel can only be good so that you see already just in the principle of the figure of the archetype of lucifer the possibility of that figure being the thing if anything was going to question that's been in in creation it's going to be that thing right because it's the most intelligent it's the most cunning if god is an omniscient if god is all powerful and created this don't you think god knows that whatever you call god you got to play along a little bit with me if you're not on the same kind of you know or spiritual train right but play along with me a little bit right imagine there's a god and imagine you're the creator just what would you have to you'd know that you are all powerful the only thing you are not is limited <laughs> Right? So, you know that this thing that you've created that you love the most is also the thing that will most likely question you. And that's exactly what happens. God creates human beings. And Lucifer, in the creation of the human beings, has this certain type of reaction. It's described, I think, in different ways at different times, depending on how the story is told. But you know, there's this reaction of 
It's also improper to describe Lucifer as just a guy, a he. It's a, it's an energy. It's not it's not gendered. It's a, it can be feminine or masculine, obviously, with the association between Lucifer and Venus, right? Um, but that Lucifer had a uh, a mistrust, I think, is the best way it's put with human beings. Um, somewhat of a jealousy, I believe, in certain ways, and in certain ways, it's described with the way that God loved His new creation, as opposed to the angels. Um, there were specific ways in which I, th- I believe it's, you know, the human being is limited that could create a certain type of jealousy between something that we perceive as higher, but maybe isn't, let's say, for example, embodied, right? Or there's ways in which when you're limited, you actually can gain certain things. And that's partially why I believe we exist in the way we do in these physical forms. But that Lucifer um, had these things because of the intelligence, because of the cunning, have these questions that were unavoidable. As soon as the creation pops up, are they truly inherently good? Will they actually follow you? Do they love you? Like I'd love you, if you're viewing it from the figure of the Lucifer itself, right? So you understand then where this idea of the questioner, the tempter inside of the Garden of Eden comes from, right? The snake giving the human beings the apple, giving, tempting Eve. It's, it doesn't come from the same place we usually tell the story from when you view it from an outside perspective. It actually comes from a place of curiosity. Uh, it comes from, in weird ways, a place of love, but more of a love for your father, for your family, for your creator, wanting to make sure that this thing that the father is creating is actually something that can be trusted, has the creator, God, the mother, however you want to describe it. It's not gendered. Again, I'm just using those terms to make it easier. You know, how, how, would, how, how would you defend if you were this thing that loved? Uh, how would you use your intellect? And so that's the idea, is that that's where the idea of, of the questioning comes from. But then the, there's also this combining of the war in heaven concept, the figure of Satan which I believe also could be kind of, you know, interpreted as the opposite end of the coin to a figure or an angel like Lucifer, right? Um, but that there's this, this, this story that has been brought in from kind of the Christian conception that it was an evil, it was a purely evil kind of move. There was no other kind of motivation besides that, besides the wanting to take power from the divine one right now if you take away that that one motive the desire to steal power and you replace those motives with what i was just saying with actually more human motives ones that are more compassionate based ones that are more love based and you can see how a figure that had those traits would actually get stuck in a certain situation when presented with a new creation I don't like, and I don't think it resonates uh, very well, this idea that God cast out Lucifer, his favored son, and damned him forever as a punishment. It doesn't make sense to me. Because why would you, if you loved, think you loved more than anything in the world, how could you ever damn it 
without some kind of purpose, without some kind of plan, without recognizing a certain kind of necessity. I believe that's exactly where the differentiation is, folks. You have the story of the fall, the casting out of Lucifer. And then in our physical reality, you have the story of the birth of Jesus. Coming from something called the Christmas star. Also referred to in many times because of the planets that were in alignment as the morning star. Because I believe it was early morning when Jesus was born. So imagine an angel falling from grace. Where would it end up? What would it look like if it popped into the physical reality? Do you see what I'm saying? I hope you're on the same track as I am. The point I say all of this, the reason I say all of this is because I feel like there's a necessity for all of us as spiritual beings, sorry, to recognize that one of the ways we heal each other in the world is by letting go of fear. It's one of the ways we protect ourselves from conceptions like this devil conception, this Satan conception that we've created, this purely evil idea. The only way, if that was a true thing, something that even could fundamentally exist based on the reality that we experience, if it did, something that unbalanced, then the only way you'd protect yourself from it was being something that wasn't it. That didn't, you couldn't give it a venue. You couldn't give it... What is one of the most uncomfortable feelings you've ever had? I want you to think about the time when you've been the most afraid. I want you to like imagine that kind of discomfort inside and recognize that that kind of discomfort, you are weak when you feel that way. Energetically weak. You're vulnerable. You're, you're easy to influence. It doesn't even matter at a spiritual level. This is a political fact, a social fact. If you look at the history of human beings and what we've done to each other, for instance, like Hitler and Mussolini, Stalin, when you scare people, people become vulnerable and they do horrible things. One of the worst misconceptions we have in the modern day is this idea that one, Jesus was only good, and two, Lucifer is only bad. Because I think they're two sides of the same coin. They go together. They're necessary. One side shows you the aspects of yourself that you don't like. The other side shows you the opposite. Jesus shows you everything you want to be. The idea of that shows you everything you could be. Right? The idea of the devil or Satan shows you the opposite. It shows you everything you would be if you did none of that. If you had no compassion, no connection. But you can't sever those two ideas. They go together like milk and cookies, <laughs> ice cream and apple pie, right? Weird comparisons, but 
because it does a lot to protect you. If you recognize that you don't have to be afraid, there isn't something outside of you running around trying to trick you. It's you trying to trick you. You're just calling it the devil. It's a part of you and me and everybody else. The Christ energy shows you that. You are and can be that same embodiment. Not in the way that you're going to go and be Jesus, but you can live that same vibration. And I believe the point is, the only way you get there is to reconcile this internal torture created by a fundamental fear that is a lie. There's nothing outside of you controlling you. There's nothing outside of you tempting you. There's nothing that can make you do anything. It is simply your internal fear based on an image you've created and externalized that makes it seem like you're being tormented by something other than yourself, but you're not. It's a mental manipulation. And I know that may be scary for a lot of you, and I hope that you understand where I'm coming from in saying these things. Because my intention is to free you from that fear. I know I can't do that myself, but by providing what I've learned, I hope that you question more things in your world. More stories you've been told. Because there are actual pieces to it, like this. Right, guys? There's... There's pieces we are not aware of that if you don't do the research, you won't find. Some of those synchronicities, some of the things I was talking about seem kind of, well, yeah, you can find one or two of those. And to many of you, you may be asking yourself, like, I don't really get it. It's okay. The point is to question things. And always when there's something that leaves you in a fear response. The reason I started this, and I didn't finish the story at the beginning, this has been jumping around a lot, I apologize was because of the message that I got when I was in church. It made me frustrated. And I actually remember going into church in a very high vibration and leaving feeling very low. And something hit me in that. That just because we go to a place of worship doesn't mean it's going to be healing. The individuals inside of that place are human beings just like you are. They're dealing with the same things, the same fears. And if we aren't careful about how we approach what we're teaching, if we regurgitate things, if we don't challenge ideas and actually come to conclusions by ourselves so that we can actually talk with them about them with confidence, then we're not doing anybody any favors. There was a, a, a you know, a... He was a teacher of sorts, but he was up there, you know, talking today. And he was talking about the figure of the devil and being in kind of sin, this idea. And it was he was talking in a very traditional way, externalizing everything. And I could feel the more he went into examples, some of them brutal, I could feel every time like a gut punch. This person taking my energy <laughs> through fear, not intentionally. Not because that person wasn't trying to do the best they could. They were trying to do everything to help, oddly enough. But they're speaking through their own fear. 
And that's what I speak of. We need more people willing to speak the truth, speak their fears, not through them. I don't want to hear what you're afraid of. I don't want you to try to convince me to be afraid of the same things. I want you to explain yourself and what you believe so that we can find where it's not well-seated. That's why this is the Unfounded Podcast. That's what I do with myself, and that's why I say, what I expect in the world. And that's what I wish to see, and I hope that you wish to see the same things, because truth is something that is inherently valuable, because it is love. Truth is love. And can you imagine for a second, taking it back, trying to place ourselves in a higher perspective? I want you to think about being the figure of Lucifer. Imagine being created. Imagine having these qualities. And imagine being loved by your creator, by your, your mother and father with all of their might. But not being able to not see some of the things and think some of the things that you think. Not being able to escape your mind. The way people see you. And then having your mother and father find something else that they love as well feeling jealousy and all of these things you never even knew existed and then challenging that creation in whatever means it happened you can hear the almost tragic romance in it right it's a it's a morbid beauty but there's a huge sacrifice in that. It's like Darth Vader in Star Wars. It's this thing that was created to be something that obviously doesn't want to be that at times. Yet, even as it's embodied, as it comes down onto Earth and it tries, it tells everybody the truth. This is the truth. You are God. You're blessed. You don't need forgiveness. All you need is to choose to forgive yourself. You're magic. God is within you, not outside of you. And they murdered him. And I want you to imagine what that would feel like. Feeling like you've already been abandoned by your parents and then you're abandoned by the creation that they abandoned you for. Can you imagine that kind of pain? Along with the physical torment? What kind of energy does that create? Can you imagine how much low vibration? Now I want you to think about, take yourself out of the position of being that figure. Imagine describing that thing as evil. It's a travesty. It's sad. It's as sad as the crucifixion itself. Because it speaks of a deeper misunderstanding that misleads everyone that still walks the earth today. We missed the fucking message. Not only did we miss it, we murdered it. And then we went around for 2,000 years blaming it. Raising an idea that never existed to a pedestal that shouldn't have been there. While we run around and 
act morally superior to other people because we follow certain stringent rules based on something that was a lie. It's almost too much to wrap your head around, which is why I think we avoid it. But that's not what I like to do here on this podcast. Things deserve to be questioned because truth is love. Let's pull a card for you really quick before we go because I think we're running out of time here. Not that I have a time frame, but I'm interested. Angels, ancestors, and guides. What do we need to hear? Hmm. You got the she-wolf. It says, release the wild within. You can see on that it's a beautiful card. Oh, that's so interesting. There's a story that that preacher was telling me or telling the congregation this morning and it had to do with a wolf and a wolf's significant to me personally because I it's a significant spirit animal energy that I connect with often and the story was about killing wolves oddly enough which felt oddly it's more attacking to me because it felt like it was a part of me um anyway the story was about killing wolves in a really brutal way. And then it was used as a way to, as a metaphor to kind of describe evil, but this externalized idea of Satan and evil. And it hurt. And I believe that this card speaks of recognizing that wild thing that's inside of you. Recognizing the Christ energy inside of you. Okay. And those two things are one thing. The moon is behind it. And the moon talks about shadows. It talks about illusions. It talks about mirrors. What were we talking about? Right? Unleash the part of yourself that you're scared of. And you'll find your true power. (laughs) That's the secret of, I think, the teaching of Jesus and every other savior we've considered since then. Or before then, I don't know. But I think, release your fears. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. You're whole. You're complete. You already are. You just forgot. (laughs) You just forgot. And this is all for you. And it's heaven and hell. And I'm good and bad. What do you want to be? Right? to a tarot card that was an that was a uh, oracle card which is a slight difference tarot is a, a specific set of cards whereas an oracle card usually is something that's more it's a little freeform you can have different types of oracle cards for a bunch of different things it's kind of cool um, so that one like I said is more of the, the she-wolf and that's a, that's a she-wolf so that's the feminine aspect which is also why the moon's on there right the moon usually represents the divine feminine mother earth um there's an aspect that's attached to uh, magic as well, right? All of these things have been deemed, in a weird way, either taboo, odd, or evil. 
I think there's so much confusion in this world. We've been lied to so fundamentally that we don't even want to try to question it. It's, it really is shocking, you know, <laughs> and overwhelming, which is probably why nobody questions it. You know, what are we supposed to be if all of this is a lie? Well, whatever you want to be, that's the whole point. It was always supposed to be that. You just, at least we're questioning it now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh boy, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode because it was a little bit off the wall. I was a little nervous to make it because this it's not a very popular opinion, I don't think. We'll find out, I guess, right? Um, so we have the justice card. So justice speaks of balance. You can see the scales in there right away, right? This figure... Um, There's two sides to everything. And in your life, oftentimes you can feel when you're unbalanced, when something's unbalanced. Whether it's being done to you, it feels like it's being done to you, or whether you feel like you're doing it to somebody else. And that's because there is this imbalance inside of you. It's not actually happening outside of you. It's something happening internally. Right? And you deserve balance. You deserve justice. Justice is that settling of the scales. Right? So there's a weird way in which I believe we have to put down our sword. You see the sword sitting next to the figure, right? Sheath the swords. The swords represent speaking and words and communication a lot of the time, right? Um, it's time to put that down for a second, I think, and go internally. And question anything that throws you out of balance. Anything. It doesn't matter who it is, what it is, where it is, because it's all you. The physical world is a projection of your internal world. So if the world looks really unbalanced, it's because you are really unbalanced. It's because you're bad. So is everybody else. So figure out where your good is. It'll bring you back in balance. Right? And with that, folks... It's going to be the Unfounded Podcast. Um, I really hope you enjoyed this episode today. I know it was kind of crazy, like I said, all over there. Um, but that's what channeling is, right? That's what truth is. There shouldn't be filtering. When you speak, you should speak with confidence, knowing that what you're saying is what you believe because you found it yourself. You taught it yourself. You learned it yourself. You did whatever you could to make sure that that's your idea. Something that you actually believe. Not in an ownership way. But something that you really, really feel. That's truth. Right? And I think that's what I'll leave you with today. So, um, that being said, I want to send all of you a lot of love. And uh, I'll be back on here very soon. Bye-bye.